community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, we are continuing today in our Word to the Wise series, which is all about how we live life at its best. How do we live life wisely? It's based in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is not so much rules and regulations in the Bible, but, but more practical advice on the stuff that matters most. And boy, some of these topics have been so awesome. We've talked about just friendship and work and other things that really matter on Monday morning. And if you've missed any of those, you can always catch up online if you would so choose. Today, we come to a topic that is perhaps one of the most important ones for our daily life, and that is how do we make wise decisions? How do we make decisions that actually lead to the best kind of life that God has for you? And for me, that's what we're going to be talking about. But you are in for a special treat because instead of having to listen to me today, uh, you get to listen to one of my favorite preachers. Uh, today we're going to hear from Reverend Nicole Eunice. Uh, Nicole and I first met when we were both being ordained. Uh, that's when you, well, it's, they, they beat you with whips and, no, they don't, but it feels like it. You, it's kind of like having to pass the bar uh, but for pastors. And so we got to go through that uh, experience together and uh, we formed a friendship. What we didn't know, or at least what I didn't know, was that the church that Nicole has been a part of, Hope Church in Richmond, Virginia, uh, has been a sister church to Lake Forest since the very beginning. They were both planted 20 years ago uh, and they've been such great partners to us. Nicole is the discipleship pastor at Hope. Uh, she is also, also the author of many books, uh, including, let me see if I can get the titles right, so Brave Enough, um, She's Got Issues, which is my favorite one. I think that's great. Uh, I can't buy that for anyone because they'll think. Anyway, and then uh, a brand new one coming out, uh, which is The Struggle is Real. In fact, that book comes out this next month. Uh, Nicole's a prolific writer and speaker, dear friend, and, a, and a, an amazing Bible teacher. And y'all are in for a treat. So can we put our hands together and welcome to Nicole. Uh, welcome to the stage, Nicole Eunice. Thanks, you guys. You should be very afraid because I currently come here every two years, which means I'm going to try and tell you two years worth of stuff in the next 30 minutes. So just hang on to your hats because I'm going to, I might talk fast. You might not get all of it, but I hope you, and I know you will, you'll get what God has for you this morning because we're going to be talking about choices. But before we do, I just want to just share a word with you all as part of your church here. Um, I've been part of Hope for 20 years, which is right when Lake Forest also started. Uh, my senior pastor, David, was was in the church planting class with Mike Moses as well, the senior pastor of Lake Forest. And I have been part of the church since we set up in a school, and then we bought land, and then we built a building, and have seen the fruit of what God has done. And I want you to know that in the day-to-day -day of what you're doing here, now that you're at two services, you have land, and you're moving toward a really bright future, it really matters what you're doing. And not all of us in our life get to be a part of something that actually will extend far beyond us, like really part of the work of it that goes beyond yourself for generations to come. And that's really what you're doing. And whenever we're advancing God's kingdom, it's going to take a lot of struggle and work. It really does. It takes a ton of sacrifice by the faithful people, you guys who are in this room. And I know, I really do believe, um, I love Aaron and his family, I love what you guys are about, and I just believe that very soon, you're going to be sitting surrounded by people who've been far from God, who have found 
uh, the, the grace of Jesus Christ because of this place. And you're going to get to say, I was one of the people who set up in that little, in that little middle school. And it's a really sweet, sweet fraternity of people who get to do that together. So I just want you guys to keep pressing forward. Um, just wanted to bring that to you since I'm on this field trip right now and have the opportunity to say that. So, um, okay, we're going to go to our text now. So I've got a question for you, and I actually want you to answer it. So this isn't like rhetorical, okay? So the question is this. How many decisions do you think that adults make in one Day. And I'm going to give you an anchor point to help you find the answer. The anchor point for you is that researchers would say that kids make 3,000 decisions a day. How many decisions a day do you think adults make? 10,000? Going once? Going to that's it? Everybody's like, sure, yeah, that's right. It's actually, so it's, it's, it's 35,000 decisions, which of course you're thinking in your mind, I don't make 35,000 decisions. This is, this is conscious decisions as well as unconscious decisions that we would make. Um, they said that the way they got to this, they, that we make more than 200, 200 to 250 decisions about food every day, like just to give you an anchor point. So we are people who are inundated with decisions. Has anyone ever, ever had the experience of being at the grocery store and the, the person behind the cashier, she asks you like six questions in a row. You're like, no, not my email. I don't have a shopper's card. I don't want to support that. I just want to buy like my, my kid's dinner. That's what I'm trying to do right now. So we are in a culture that's inundated by decisions, yes? And we have people who want us to make decisions. But yet, when it comes to the actual soul-level decisions, heart-level decisions about what actually really matters in life, I think if you're like me, you may have found that the, you have seasons where you do feel pretty rudderless, and it doesn't feel like there's a clear answer, and it doesn't feel like there's an easy way forward. And actually, that's where I think that we can engage most deeply with God is in those places. If you're over the age of 13, you probably can think of a time like that in your life. Perhaps you're in a time like that. In fact, I would say that most of us are probably in a time like that in some aspect of our lives almost all the time. Before I was in ministry, I was in counseling. And the number one thing that people came to counseling to talk about was feeling stuck. Feeling stuck in some way. Feeling stuck in their past, regretting a past decision, feeling stuck in a current situation, whether it was their marriage or their children or their families. Most people came feeling stuck. And what I learned over those 10 years was that for every person who came to my office, there was like 10 or 100 or 1,000 who were not coming to my office, but who were also experiencing that. We look like we are decisive on the outside, but I actually think that on the inside, in the places that matter, we do sometimes really struggle to know, how do I live a better life? I think that's why you're here today. I think most of us come here wanting a better life. We're like, absolutely, I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better worker, whatever that thing is. And we know that this is probably the place, or we hope this is the place, whether your faith is, is strong or it's new or whether you're wrestling with God right now or not. I think most of us come together in church because we're interested in what God might have to say and we're hopeful that it might be different. So as we enter in, I just want to lay that out as the assumptions that are on the table, that we want to live a better life, that we all have seasons where we feel kind of rudderless, and that we think that this is a place that we might find hope and healing. And I believe that to be true about God's word and what it can do for us. So we're in Proverbs. You guys have been in this series. And just a, just a place to start uh, is Proverbs 1. This kind of lays out what Proverbs is all about. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And I bring this to your attention because I think when it comes to changing, when it comes to actually doing something different with our lives, again, from counseling, 
Oftentimes, the, the question I'm asking when I'm with someone, as I'm listening to what their soul is trying to say, is I'm trying to assess how ready they are to actually change. Because a lot of us talk about wanting to be better and talk about changing, but when it really comes down to it, we're not as intrigued by change. Here's an example. I kind of sprained my ankle like six months ago. I didn't even know I sprained it, but it was kind of bothering me. So finally, I go to physical therapy, and I go, and they like give me exercises to do. And then I have a follow-up like four weeks later. And Clark, my PT, he says, Nicole, have you been doing your exercises? And he's just such a sweet man. I was like, no. I, no. I, I really haven't. I did them this morning, Clark. I did it one time <laughs> since the last time I was here. So obviously, I had the means to get better, but I didn't have the motivation to get better. And honestly, it's because my ankle doesn't really hurt that bad. Like, I made the step, but then I wasn't really ready for that step. Does that make sense? The reason I bring this to you, your attention it's because I believe that God, in his love and mercy for us, does sometimes bring us to very challenging situations to ready our hearts for change so that we might move to a better place. But in our common sense, in our knowledge, the idea that God would make something hard doesn't feel loving at first. Does that make sense? If you've raised children, you understand this. The idea that something would be hard because it's loving doesn't feel that great. So if you're in that season or if you've been in that season, what I want to just sort of give to you to think about is, is it possible that in God's love, he has stirred you into something because of a work that he wants to do in you and a work that he may want to do through you, but that a work that he wants to do in you, that it's actually in his mercy that he can bring us to a place where we get to our wit's end, where we get to our wisdom's end, which is actually a quote from Psalm 107. When we get to that place where we say, okay, God, I'm actually ready. So if you're in that place or if you've been in that place, we're going to enter into a very familiar passage right in that place, which is in Proverbs 3. Let me just say a prayer as we enter and open God's word. Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, the words that we hear this morning, we would receive on faith as from your spirit to each of our hearts. God, you are an intentional God who draws each of us together for a purpose. And you have a word for each of us this morning. Father, I pray that we would receive that as truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Proverbs 3. If you've got your Bibles on your chairs, if you have it on your phone, if you like to read along or take notes, uh, Proverbs 3 starts like this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. This is the familiar part. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So this passage is about prioritizing what matters when it comes to the decisions that we make about life. And I want to look at three words that start with D, because first of all, it will help you remember. Second of all, I'm a preacher. I can't help myself. So the first one is this. The first word is devotion. The second word is determination. And the third word is doors, doors. So we're going to look at the way that God works in our devotion, the way he works in our determination, and the way he works with doors in our life through this passage. The first one is devotion. Verse 3, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So the writer of Proverbs uses this analogy, this word picture that gives us a visual of what it looks like to say that the first 
priority of my life is this love and faithfulness. And I have a picture here of a devout Jewish man who's praying. And so in the modern day still, Jewish men will wrap this around their hands and they'll put it on their head. And we'll, there's a picture at one point, you'll see it. You're so excited about it, I bet you can't even imagine how, oh, there it is. So they will wrap this around their head. And you see that little box on his head? He's got a little box on the middle of his arm, close to his heart. And in those boxes are actually God's law. So they interpret this literally and they say that I'm going to have an outward expression of the idea that I am putting God's word in my head and on my heart when I go to pray to him. Now, we may think this seems a little bit strange and a little bit silly that you would do this before you pray, but perhaps it's not that different for us. Take a look at this next picture. You see, sometimes our devotion leads us to do things like tattooing or wearing a necklace or hanging up a sign in our house or on our car to to proclaim our devotion. And I know you're wondering right now what John 7.24 says, and it says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. This sweet little man on the internet's given us all a little lesson this morning, so (laughs) I don't know what you thought when you saw that. But anyway, the point being, devotion is something that we sometimes express on the outside. And here's why I think we do that. I think if devotion came naturally, if the idea that the number one priority of my heart is God's love and faithfulness, I think if it just came naturally, we wouldn't want to display it all the time. I think the reason that we display it, the reason we do things like wear our kids' birthstones around our neck or get a tattoo on our arm or put something up in our house or or by our computer is because our heart knows that sometimes our heart's not in it. And our heart knows that we need a reminder about what our priority is. And this verse that says, let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind it around your neck. At first glance to me, it feels like it's saying, let my love and faithfulness, my love for God, my faithfulness for God be my number one priority. But what I want to submit to you is perhaps that this is actually about God's love to us and God's faithfulness to us. That God's covenant promises to us is actually what we hold on to. And here's why I think that might be true. This phrase, love and faithfulness, from Proverbs 3 is used multiple times in Scripture together, just like that, to describe God's character toward us. Let me just read a couple of them to you. Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 115, verse 1, one of my favorites. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. The Hebrew word that's used for love here is hesed. If you were reading closely that mission slide that we had up a little bit ago, you support hesed, house of hope. That's the word hesed right there. And one of my favorite little things I've learned about the word hesed that a commentator said about the word is that the word implies that there is a relationship that implies family even when family doesn't exist. That God's hesed love for us makes us family even when family wasn't there. Does that make sense? Like a hesed homeless home is a place that you treat people like your brothers and sisters even though they aren't your brothers and sisters. It's hesed love. The way God's character is described in the Old Testament is that he is a loving God who extends to us the rights and privileges of family members even when that family relationship does not exist. God and his son gave us that family relationship. He said, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, when you are in Christ, you have come to be my son and my daughter. And you put that around your neck. That reminder is of my love, my hesed love that said to you while you were far away, 
As we sang that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. God who says, while you were wandering, I was extending my Hesed love to you. I was calling you family. So that love and faithfulness isn't about my love and faithfulness because it's about this much. And when you start to get into challenging decisions, you're going to run out of that stuff really fast. Anybody else? You don't, I mean, you can just look at me in the eye. You don't even have to nod. But I know that you've experienced that, maybe even this morning. You run out of your own stuff. But God says, let my love and my faithfulness, my character, the word faithfulness in the Hebrew means true. Let my hesed love that extends a family relationship, let the truth of my word be your number one devotion. That's what devotion looks like, but it's a choice that we make. It's not a choice that we just get. I think it's actually an active living choice that we make each day. When Moses was leading the Israelites into the promised land, he wasn't going to go with them. He was giving them kind of his famous last words. I think of him as like an old grandpa who's gathering his one million children around him and saying, hey guys, you're about to go do something. I'm not going with you. And it says in Deuteronomy 30, today I've given you a choice between life and death, between blessings and cursings. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, listen to this. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your descendants might live. This is how you make this choice. This is what he says. You make this choice. By loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him, this is the key to your life. He wasn't talking about physical life. Obviously, they were all alive and well. They're going into the promised land. So when he talks about making the choice to choose life, I believe this is a spiritual choice. This is an inner choice that we each make. It's a daily choice to say my highest priority is believing in God's intent in my life. Now, you might be thinking, how does that apply to my decisions? It does. When you step your feet on the ground out of your bed each morning and you say, I am going to believe today in God's love and faithfulness in my life, you are working against the enemy who desires to destroy and divide. And you're saying, I may not understand it, but I'm choosing God's intent for my life today. That's what devotion looks like. Second D word is determination. And I think there's a big difference. This is a head word. This is about what happens right here in our minds. Devotion is what happens in our heart. Determination is what happens in our mind. I think there's a big difference between being decisive and being determined. Decisive is easy when we're talking about coffee and like easy choices and paying my bills on time and those kind of things. But when we get into the gray of life, the places that feel a lot harder to know the way forward, that's where there's a difference between being decisive and determined. I don't find that I'm very decisive. I don't find that I'm very decisive when the decisions aren't easy. When the decision is about how to treat my child when they've gone astray, when the decision is about how to love someone who is so unlovable, when the decision is about do I reconcile again with this person or is God telling me to make a healthy boundary, that's the kind of things that aren't so easy to figure out. And I think it's in those times that we go to God's word to understand the way he works in decisions. Like, is God, like, giving me this parking spot at the mall? Anybody have that? That's what my mom used to pray about. She said, thank you, Jesus, for this parking spot. I'm like, Mom, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Jesus cares about your parking spot. Maybe he does. Is it like that? Am I supposed to hear God's voice in each and every 35,000 decisions that I make a day? So you can go look in, your, in the Word yourself. But here's what I've learned from the Word studying up for you guys today. Here's what I think is how God actually likes to speak to us. I think he likes to speak in the telescope. And in the microscope. And here's what I mean by that. What does a telescope do? You look in it. You see something that is really far away and really big, but it looks small to us. And you get to see it a little bigger, a little brighter in a telescope, right? 
What do you do in a microscope? You see something that's right in front of you, and you get to see it closer when it's in the microscope. I don't know if there's any scientists here. I know that I'm not really doing this right, just so you know. I was preaching near Stanford last year, and I said something like about salt, in, you know, you're the salt of the earth, and a little guy came up to me afterward. He was actually very tall, but he was awkward, and he said, because he goes to Stanford. And I'm just kidding. My dad went to Stanford, so I'm allowed to say that. So anyway, um, he was very smart, and he said, um, I really liked your sermon. Thank you so much, but I need you to know that salt is not an element. It's a compound. I was like, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So I may not be using telescope and microscope correctly, but just go with me and pretend. So telescope, far away, yeah? Far away gets brighter when you see it. Microscope's here. It seems to me that God in his word likes to talk about telescopes and microscopes. He says to Abram, I am your shield and your very great reward. I will make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. But he doesn't tell Abraham how that's going to happen, at least at first. Joseph has dreams about his brothers bowing down to him, and he ends up in prison for 12 years. Esther is supposed to save her people. All these people have these big things out there. Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What? Like, they're out there, and they're big, and they're grand, and they're far away. And God seems to speak about those things. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but God didn't say that about my life. Like, I'm, we're just us. But God did actually speak very clearly about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we all have the same kind of stars out there in our sky. And those stars are like 2 Corinthians 5. It says that you are Christ's ambassadors as if God was speaking through you. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Like that's our job now. Like I'm Christ's ambassador. Acts 1 verse 8 says you will be my witnesses. The power of the spirit will come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's for us. That's your, that's your star. We have those stars. There's multiple stars in God's word that are out there. That God's saying, this is what your life is about. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We've got these stars out there, but we're very interested in the in-between. At least I am. I'm like, okay, God, yeah, sure, Christ ambassador, how are we going to do that? Do we have like a five-year plan, maybe with some monthly goals? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? It doesn't seem like God likes to answer in that in-between. He lays out the stars for us. But I do believe that God is very interested in the microscope. The microscope is daily life. It's in the daily decisions that we make, the ways that we follow his word, waking up in the morning and saying, God, I want to be intent on your love and faithfulness. I'm determined to believe what you say. Hebrews 12 says, let us run the race with perseverance that's marked out for us. A lot of us, at least I am saying, but I don't, I don't like this race. Can I get in a different race? Can we like mark out a different path? And God's like, no, that's it right there. In the daily life is where I'm determined to follow God. I read this devotion just this week. This is Springs in the Valley, by the way. It's a companion to Streams in the Desert, if you've read that one. It says, thank God for the new vision, the beautiful idea, the glowing experience of the mountain. But unless we bring it down to the level of life, and teach it to walk with feet, work with hands, and stand the strain of daily life. We have worse than lost it. We have been hurt by it. The uncommon life is the product of a day lived in an uncommon way. Do you know the way we live our lives in uncommon ways? Is when we persevere in difficult circumstances. When we wait on decisions that we are not ready to make. When we find patience and joy in the heart. That's been my prayer this week. I'm like, God, You've made it clear to me that you give me a lot of joy in the easy places, but I pray that I might have joy in the hard places too. 
because that's what makes an uncommon life. You may not be decisive. You may not know the answer to that really hard thing that's going on in your life, but you can be determined to believe that God is good. That's what happens in our heads. Finally, doors. God gives us doors. The question is, are we going to walk through them? How are we going to walk through them? What are they? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the, that's the heart. That's here, devotion. And lean not on your own understanding. And always acknowledge him. That's the head. Always. Everything in that day. And he will make your paths straight. So does God have one choice in every decision? Is there always a God's best in everything that you do? Lots of theologians have debated this. What does it mean that God is sovereign? And I'm only here for one sermon, so we can't do all of that. But I will tell you that one of my favorite word pictures of what God does with our decisions is that God is like a holy juggler who keeps working things in to his show. And no matter what you throw at him, he is going to work it right in. And I love the freedom and the grace of that picture. Is that a full picture of God? Not really. But is it a beautiful picture of God? And it's one that I've seen in my life. Absolutely. So here is what I mean by doors. I think that what God is asking us to do is in the microscope of life to keep trusting him and taking one more step. One of the things I do at Hope is lead a a thing called Praxis, which is for young ministry leaders. It's for 20-somethings. And one of the main struggles that 20-somethings have is that they are already deciding their future before they remember to apply for the job. Now, all of us have probably been there. We want to know how it's all going to play out because I'm just not sure. And I'm like, guys, what God's asking you for is the faith to take one more step. That is not the decision. That is just today. So I may not know the big thing. I might not know how God is laying out the path for me. In fact, I really don't know. But if I'm in his word, I do know how to faithfully live one day at a time. I believe that Christ wants to be with us in the faithful one day at a time. About five years ago, my husband and I, actually, let's be totally honest, my husband really felt like we were called to adopt And I didn't quite feel the same, and part of that's because I grew up in a family of adoption, and I have my my youngest brother was adopted. And in my heart of hearts, I wasn't sure I was the kind of woman who could be the kind of mom that an adoptive child would need, because I had seen it, and I had seen how hard it is, and I knew that it was sort of romanticized in Christian world. And the reality is that adoption is, is only comes out of loss. The only reason adoption exists is because we live in a broken world. And yes, it's a beautiful, redemptive picture of Christ's love, but it ain't easy. And I just didn't know. With like three little kids and ministry, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. But here's what I did know in the telescope of life. Is that God in a covenant of marriage said that two become one flesh. Which means that even if I didn't really know for sure if that's what I could do, it was still the right next step to continue the conversation with my husband, if that makes sense. It was still the, the right next step to just step through the next door. So we did. We stepped through the next door, and we did a home study, and we were approved for a home study, and we kind of got our stuff in place, and we, and we had the social workers do our kids' thing. We did the psychological evaluation, all the little pieces that go. We just kept doing one step at a time because I knew that it was God who would make that decision, right? In my heart of hearts, I knew that. Despite the angst, I knew it was God who would make that decision. And right at that time, I was mentoring a a little high schooler that had been in my life for a long time, and it was her high school graduation. We took her to Nashville for a weekend. We live in Richmond. And while we were there, we got to visit a ministry that we had supported um, over the years, and we took a little tour of this ministry. It was a place that uh, girls go who need a place to go to be restored out of a variety of traumatic situations. And while we're there walking by, I pass a door that says adoption director on the door. Like, what is that? 
So that week I called up the place and I said, hey, I saw this when I was visiting y'all. Um, and they're like, yeah, we have a little adoption agency. Uh, it's for girls who come, a lot of the girls come and they're pregnant. And we walk through a discernment process with them and we give them the ultimate choice on whether to raise their child or give their baby up for adoption. But if they want to do an open adoption, we have a little private agency, just a few families. So I was like, this is it, like that's our next door. And I knew, and I had said to God, please, I just, I need it to be a baby. Um, so we put in and we fill out this big scrapbook and we turn in this big scrapbook. I am not a scrapbooker. It was very painful. It was harder than I think actually raising the baby. It was just hard for me to do a scrapbook with letters and stuff. And I do the scrapbook. We send it off. And I'm like, I feel a lot of peace because I'm like, okay, we're just doing one faithful decision at a time, right? No telescope answers, just right here. And as we do that, a couple months later, I get a package from the ministry. They have sent the scrapbook back. There's a note on it. You are missing four to five things. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I can't even do the scrapbook right. So I'm, I'm like literally so frustrated that I put it on a shelf for just a, a little bit. And I'm like, once I get the kids back in school, I'll open it back up. We'll get it back out there. We'll put it, we'll put it with the agency. And just right around then, I got a text. This was May of 2014. And my little teenager sent me a text. And I remember the moment where I was standing in my kitchen. And I looked up at my husband and I said, I think Olivia's pregnant. And my little teenage friend, 19, found herself pregnant. And over the next few months, we walked together through the decision about abortion. Uh, she had very little faith, just a little tiny faith. God is present in little tiny faith about abortion and then about adoption. We visited adoption agencies. Uh, we offered to adopt the baby. And then she said at around week 12, you know, I just, I think I couldn't do it. I just think that I'm supposed to raise this baby. And through a series of circumstances that I can't get into all of them, we ended up having Olivia live with us for about three years as she raised her baby. And here's a picture of her on her college graduation day with her baby, Myla. And I think about that story, and the way I tell it is that we didn't adopt a baby, we adopt a mom and a baby. <laughs> and I think about that story, and I believe that God's love and faithfulness is at the center of the work. And we don't know the path. And sometimes we don't even want to be on the path. But when it comes to life's choices, sometimes we just have to make those determined steps in the microscope, in the daily life. And the path may not look the way you expect, but it can still be really, really, really good. So I'm going to invite the worship team up as I share just one more verse with you all, one that's meant so much to me over the years. It's from John chapter 10. It's actually in the, new, in the King James Version, which we almost never read. And it's Jesus, and he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And I believe that all these decisions, the happy ones, the hard ones, the good ones, the confusing ones, I believe in all those 35,000 decisions a day that we make, there's an invitation in all of them, which is Jesus Christ saying, I'm your door. He says in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. And yeah, we open that door the first time. When we enter into salvation, it's as simple as opening that door the first time where we say, I cannot do this life without you, Jesus. Would you be my Lord and Savior? But we keep opening that door every day that we put our feet on the ground. We make the choice to choose life. We open that door to Jesus who says that I'm your door. I want to be on the path with you. I want to walk in it with you. And will you let these circumstances draw me to you? Will you let these circumstances bring us to a deeper place together? That is our savior. That is our friend. That is our decision maker. That is the option and the offer that we have each and every day in Christ.
So devoted, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Determined, deciding in here that even when I'm not decided, I can still be determined to follow God in the telescope and in the microscope. And the doors, when the doors come to me, I walk through them one at a time knowing that Jesus is the ultimate door and he invites me in to be my good shepherd, to find safe pasture with him. That is a spacious place and that is a free place. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.